right, how's everybody doing? Welcome to Wednesday. Of course, you're watching Chicago Music Revealed, Chicago Jazz Magazine, ChicagoJazz.com. I am Mike Jeffers, and welcome to episode 88 of Chicago Music Revealed. As you know, we do this three times a week now. I dialed it back a little bit from our regular every day because things are getting, at least some things are getting busier here in Chicago, which is good news. There's some live performances happening. There's some different things going on in the city. And as everyone knows, as I always say, I also got brought on. So I'm the director of entertainment and programming at the soon to be opening Epiphany Center for the Arts right here in the West Loop. Details coming Friday. We're going to announce tickets are going on sale. Very limited COVID safe seating inside and then a full platform live stream pay-per-view platform that everybody can watch throughout the entire world if they want to. So stay tuned for that. All the information coming Friday on Chicago Music Revealed. And of course, that's going to be our Blues and Beyond segment with our special guest host, Dave Katzman, will be on and we will be interviewing Nick Moss. So I got all the plugs in. Now, this is uh, an honor and I am going to try to uh, not do my my uh, drum talk with Ralph for like four hours because he and I could probably first we'll start off with brush technique and then, you know, everybody will be bored and then we'll just continue on. <laughs> but Ralph Peterson is on and uh, I mean, a legend in the drumming world and in the jazz world, obviously, but he has a brand new recording coming out September 18th called Onward and Upward, and it's part of the Me Messenger Legacy. It's Ralph Peterson and the Messenger Legacy. And Ralph, it is a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. And I am looking forward to uh, being able to listen to the entire recording. I, I got snippets of it. it. Sounds incredible as usual. I did hear Legacy Alive Volume 6 last year at the side door, killing. And of course, I've been following you for years. So welcome to Chicago Music Revealed. It is an honor to have you on. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be with you. And then we also have uh, Gen X Big Band, Listen Up. That's which right. Was, which uh, received recognition as the emerging artist big band. The Critics Poll. That's right. Which is also a kind of more direct uh, tribute to how I became a messenger myself. Well, you know, let's talk. Let's, big band. I was going to say, let's talk a little bit about that, how you became a messenger, because, I mean, you were the last drummer that Art Blakey brought on. And I mean, he mentored you and you were you were you know, you've been pushing this and leading the charge and really picking up where Art left off after he passed away and pushing the legacy of the messengers and jazz into the future and that's a tribute to the tracks i heard just makes it, it it sounds like this is like where art probably would have wanted some of this music to go to in the 21st century but let's talk a little bit how did you meet art blakey were you just hanging out and you used to see him a lot and he just yeah it takes a lot for somebody to invite you into the drum chair i would imagine <laughs> well let me first say that art blakey mentored scores of drummers yeah Many in my generation and before, um, Carl Allen, Cindy Blackman, Terry Lynn, uh, Kenny Washington, you know, mm -hmm. loads of drummers who would do rehearsals because Art would call rehearsals and then not come. <laughs> and, you know, the band would work the music up to a certain level and then he would arrive at the rehearsal 
and take check things out, take it over the top, and then it would become, you know, that piece of music would become a messenger, a part of the messenger songbook. Wow. So that needs to be said. Yeah. So uh, I, I've met Art Blakey through, I was made aware of Art Blakey through the mentorship and tutelage of Paul Jeffrey and Michael Carvey. Because when I got to Rutgers, I failed the percussion audition as a drummer because I didn't know the ah. And so, uh, so uh, I'm turning off my phone. <laughs> people never start texting you till you go live. Of course, you know? of course. And so uh, uh, I spent the first semester of my freshman year in the trumpet section sitting next to Terrence Blanchard. <laughs> uh, which proved to me that there's a huge difference between a guy who plays the trumpet and a trumpet player. Mm, yeah. You know, it's like a guy who drinks beer trying to drink with a beer drinker. <laughs> you know, he can get hurt doing that. You know? <laughs> and so, um, All right, that's uh, the best analogy I've heard probably <laughs> ever. So th there you have it. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, after a semester of learning my rudiments, I went back and studied with Michael Carver mm -hmm. and began to be fascinated by the drive and the flow and the orchestral nature of the jazz messenger sound. Um, my parent, the first drummer to have real big impact on me besides after my father and then Chris Colombo mm -hmm. was Chris Colombo's son, Sonny Payne who I had the privilege wow. of taking a private lesson from when I was 12. Wow, no kidding. And the reason wow. that's relevant is because of what I believe, what spoke to me in Art Blakey's drumming, because um, Bill Pierce said once in an interview we did together, and I latched, I've latched onto it and run with it, that Art Blakey's drumming can be easily summed up as big band drumming in a small group setting. Mm-hmm. That's and, you know that 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 very accurately describes that concept. Yeah. So, um, Terrence and I went to school together. We had, you know, college pub gigs for the year and a half that he was in school before he took off to go with art. Um, and I would follow the band around as much as I could afford to, and was able to both follow the band around and stay in school. Yeah. And so eventually at the jazz forum, our Blakey came off the bandstand, walked by, patted me on the shoulder on the way to the dressing room, just kind of out, out of an acknowledgement. Cause I would sit right up underneath him, like, <laughs> like all of us would. Yeah. <laughs> and he, you know, did that to let me know that he had, that hit my face had become familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So I went back and it was pretty crowded and I was introduced to him that night and about three months later, because Art played New York all the time, about mm -hmm. three months later he played McKell's. In, in, the, in the meantime, I had done my first gig in New York with Walter Davis Jr. Sure. And Winton and Branford Marcellus were on that gig along with Phil Bowler on bass and... Uh, Walter gave me my first gig in New York, and I had the privilege and honor of recording his last record, his last trio record, Scorpio Rising. 
with Santi Di Briano. Yeah. And so went and reintroduced me to, to art at McHale's. And he asked me if I wanted to sit in. But uh, that night, I think Cindy, Tane, and Smitty <laughs> all sat in. Oh. <laughs> so when he asked me, I'm like, uh, yes, sir, I'd like to sit in. You know, I mean, like my <laughs> yeah. mouth was saying one thing, but my body was screaming something else. So he said, you know, come to rehearsal tomorrow, two o'clock. Yeah. I show up at rehearsal in my suit, in the one, you know, my one wool suit in the middle of August. I'm sweating, <laughs> you know. I'm sweating like I'm greasier than a Florida pork chop, right? And uh, he doesn't show up until minutes before the gig in the first minute you know i rehearsed with the band i had been following the band i had been working on my odd blakey skills press roll shuffle yep. the theme the way he played the theme and so when i sat in was also the first moment that charnette moffitt sat in and so uh um, we played bird like and then he started to come back towards the bandstand and terrence and i had this you know, kind of worked out that if I got this opportunity, that I was going to make try to make some luck out of it. Because, <laughs> you know, luck, according to Denzel, is the intersection of preparation and opportunity. Right. You know I mean, and if you're not prepared for your opportunity, you tend to not have good luck. You know what That's I mean? Right. And this is something I try to teach my students. Um, so uh, I go into my best Art Blakey theme imitation, and it stops him in his tracks, and he lets me play it out. <laughs> and so he keeps me up till four o'clock at the, the typical McKell's hang, 96th and Colum 97th in Columbus. We there till about three o'clock, 3.30. He's telling me, oh man, I've been waiting for you. We're gonna put the big band together. We're gonna get everybody, Freddie Hubbard, Wayne Shorter. We're gonna get everybody. Uh, Lee Morgan, Chuck Mangione. I'm like, wait a minute, man. Lee Morgan ain't here no more. So, you know, and the cast were like, man, you know. But true to form, um, true to his word, he called me uh, for uh, a concert at the Boston Globe Festival, March of. 1983 mm. um, at the Boston Globe Festival uh, to play with the big band for the first time. I'm trying to find the, um, I know I, I should have pulled it up earlier, but the poster's on my wall and, uh, you know, it's on, I post it all the time on mm -hmm. my Facebook page. So, you know, I should have pulled it up earlier than now. I'll never find it in my phone now. <laughs> but um, that night, uh, the trumpet section was Terrence Winton and John Faddis playing lead. And there's a oh, there's another funny story <laughs> where where John where Terrence either gave the wrong time or the wrong address to John Faddis <laughs> for the one rehearsal that John could make. And uh, John came in and sight read the book on the gig, you oh. know, up an octave anyway, which wow. you know. <laughs> Scared the bejesus out of me, you know the level of musicianship. Uh, uh, Frank Lacey, Robin Eubanks, and Kevin Weavers was the trombone section. Wow! And I believe the saxophone section was, I believe, Bobby Watson, Donald Harrison, um, 
either Bill Pierce or John Toussaint. I have to look at the list. Yeah. Um, Doug Miller was playing baritone. Um, James Williams and Charles Fambro in the rhythm section. Oh, wow. And two drum sets on it. And, <laughs> and, and so that galvanized my relationship with him. And I had the privilege of holding that position until he passed. We did uh, Mount Fuji Jazz Festival several times. And uh, it was just an honor and a privilege. It was like, uh, it was like, uh, a postgraduate fellowship yeah. that I was getting paid for. You know what I mean? It was crazy. <laughs> and so um, when he passed, I kind of made a, a kind of silent promise to myself that if I ever got in a position to uh, uphold his legacy and extend his legacy and do my part, I mean... <clears throat> All jazz messengers, and one of the things that make our Blakey so important is that he's probably one of the most impactful band leaders in 20th century music because of the number of sidemen that have become impactful leaders. Yep, that's come from his band. Yeah, and um, all of the all of the messengers before me and in my generation and the ones who came after me. Like Brian came in the band after, although he's older than me, when I started with the big band, he was playing with Har Silva. You dig? Which yeah, is, yeah. you know, they're an, another extension of, of the Messenger legacy. If yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's just something that I'm really grateful for. I feel it, I feel it both an honor and a responsibility. Like like we were saying off camera, it doesn't completely define who I am right. as an artist. You know, I have Triangular Three, the trio with the Curtis Brothers. Yep. I have uh, Aggregate Prime, an amazing quintet with Gary Thomas and and Mark Whitfield and and Kenny Davis and and so and you know kind of my flagship group or sound, which is the Fotet, mm -hmm. which. Um, and the sextet, which, you know, produce, which people like Sean Jones and Tia Fuller and Walter Smith and, and Victor Gould and those kind of cats came through that band, the sextet, you know. Yeah. And so, like me, other jazz messengers, Terrence with the extet, Terry Lynn with her social mm -hmm. social science is the name of her group, I forget. Yeah, no, you're right, yep. John Toussaint even in London, has uh, uh, a very strong working sextet in which he forwards his combination of that sound and his thoughts as a leader. So after doing the first big band record live um, and doing the second big band record in the studio with the help of Berklee College of Music, the big band being made up of all Berkeley active Berkeley students. Uh -huh. uh, and and the big band also had two drummers in on each record. And mm -hmm. so it was a lot to teach them how to work together and play musically and sacrifice their own ego for the music. Um, and as well as learning 
um, the vocabulary of the jazz messengers, as well as the vocabulary of certain big bands that that, that you know, yeah. yeah, made the two work together. And so, like like I said, uh, like I said earlier, the big band uh, "Listen Up" record is uh, put us put the spotlight on, on us by downbeat. Mm-hmm. We're really proud and happy for the students who participate in that. Hopefully we'll be in the Grammy running again. And um, then we did the Messenger Legacy. And the Messenger Legacy was, uh, you know, with Bobby Watson and Bill Pierce, Brian Lynch, Essiot, and Jeff Keezer, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Keezer. Yep. And so that record was incredibly fun. We toured a lot. <laughs> You know, and the touring made clear to me how much hunger and thirst there was for that sound. And Mm -hmm. how, not so much the tunes, but the sound, okay? And so when it came time to record the Messenger Legacy again, something inside of me, just would not, didn't feel comfortable doing another record of Jazz Messenger Greatest Hits. Right. It would be like, you know, so what? You know, you proved you could do that on the last record. Yeah. And, you know, one of the guiding principles of being in a Jazz Messenger was that new music always had to be created for that partic- for the current particular band. And so I took that idea of arts and made it the centerpiece um, challenge for Onward and Upward. By the way, the phrase Onward and Upward comes from my trumpet teacher, Bill Fielder at Rutgers. And, you know, um, I didn't invent it because also it was from Bill Fielder that I learned that there's nothing new under the sun until you discover it, then it becomes new. Mm, you know, and yeah. Newton's third law of relativity says that everything that's in the universe has been in the universe since the beginning of the universe. Energy is neither lost or gained; it merely changes form. So there's nothing new. Yeah, you know. So so people who are trying to always uh, turn themselves inside out or stand on their head based on being original haven't figured that out. You know, the process of originality is uh, uh, an equation that begins with understanding what happened before you. Mm-hmm. And, in your, and, and in the assimilation to reproduce what happens before you, you discover your inability to achieve that level of greatness because you're not them. And so that compels you to find your own expression of the same kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's imitation, assimilation, and then if any innovation comes out of it, they need to have those two components in place before. You know, and a lot of young musicians, um, and I get a chuckle out of it because I'm a child of the 70s. <laughs> so a lot of what everybody's calling fresh and new and original now was the music I grew up to yeah. before I discovered the, the Dizzy Gillespie. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, uh, I tell people all the time, my first favorite Freddie Hubbard record was Liquid Love. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. No. 
the record was called Wind Jam. Yeah. The record yep, yep. was called Wind Jam. And the tune was Neo Terra. You know, it was the first Freddie Hubbard solo that I ever learned on trumpet. You know, but, you know, it's kind of, this music is a big tent. Mm-hmm. And once you come inside, it matters less what got, how you got in. And it matters more what you do after you get in, in terms of your ability to want to to honor the music and therefore make and thereby make a statement. Well, so I hope you're able to do that with this record. You know, we had a lot of fun making it. It was like a it was like a fraternal conclave <laughs> to have you know Joanne Burkeen and Bill Pierce as the senior messengers. You know, along with, you know, uh, Melissa Slocum, the bassist, who is uh, coincidentally my daughter's mother. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that she played a couple of three, maybe two weeks with the Jazz Messenger. Between Leon Lee Dorsey and Essiet Essiet, Melissa Slocum had the gig. And the reason I know is because I made the recommendation for both <laughs> Melissa and Essiet, and and Bobby backed me up on Essiet, and that's how you know Essiet, you know, came to become a messenger. And so yeah. we've had, we've had long relationships. Some of us have been friends. A lot of them have seen me come through a lot of the fire in life that I subjected myself to. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I'm I'm real grateful today to be 24 years and change drinking drug free, you know. And yeah. so, a lot of those, a lot of those guys saw me get through that and never gave up on me as friends and as 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 a musician. And so there was a lot of love in the studio over those two days. And coincidentally. We recorded the record on the 6th and the 7th. Everybody went home on the 8th. I left New York on the 9th after everything was done. And New York was shut down on the 10th for COVID. Wow. I, I Actually, I, I read that you also, during the recording, as part of your production, your music label and production uh, company and all that stuff, you actually did two full-length videos of, of tunes. And then you also had the foresight to interview everybody when they were all in the studio performing and stuff. Right. So you have all that footage. I have all that footage and it took more than foresight. It took capital. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily I was able, I was blessed by an investor um, who is a 40 year friend from the Rutgers days, a great bass player in his own right who happened to study computer science and wishes to remain nameless because he don't want his phone blowing up. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? But the but the financial logistics of putting together a project of that magnitude oh, yeah. is formidable. Oh, and yeah. I'm grateful that I have people who believe in me and want to help me present my art enough to invest in me as a brand. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's my guy. That's my foxhole buddy right there, <laughs> you know. Well, and was... so, yeah, we got, we had pictures, we had video. There's more video to come. You know, I, I mean, I've got, 
huge 12 huge files of video we have oh. two music videos now the first is el grito mm-hmm. the brian lynch tune afro-cuban uh uh with the with the uh the rumba clave mm-hmm. you know and and uh uh, uh timba and with the timba flavor yep and uh which brings into play the third legacy messenger, Ronaldo De Jesus, who, you know, played with Lucas and Zakai in their band, and then with me in the Fotet. So there's an affiliation with everybody who didn't play with art directly. There's a direct connection with some messenger alumni, mm-hmm. you know, or outgrowth thereof. And uh, I had the privilege of playing with Art with Giovanni Hidalgo oh, um, geez, in Mount that... Fuji. Talk oh. about your orgy and rhythm on Oh, 19- my God. <laughs> oh, my God. It was insane. <laughs> and so, uh, um, yeah, we can look forward to There's an interview video that maybe I'll post after, um, after this mm-hmm. so folks can check it out where cats get to talk about you know, various subjects, including, and this is something that I hope we spend some time talking about, what's going on, you know, in the world and in 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 this country and in the world today, because music is very often an expression of that energy. Yep. You know? Yeah. And so uh, you know, I'm I've been very I've worked hard to maintain my sense of positivity and creativity through the through the corona era and through the current administration's era and its systematic dismantling of an already imperfect nation, although we knew that, yep. right? But, you know, I the last 24 hours has 24 to 30 hours has been quite encouraging and actually fascinating as well in some of the exchanges that I've had with uh, friends, uh, acquaintances, and, and, you know, younger musicians and younger people who, um, you know, have the energy and the fortitude and the fire to take to the streets um, but if i knew then what i know now you know yeah i'd understand you know that old saying that you know youth is wasted on the young you know yeah. <laughs> you know for you know the two the two bull the two bull joke, which I cannot tell, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, the one bull says, let's run down the hill and deal with these cows. And the old bull says, no, let's walk down and deal with all of them. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And so, uh, but, it, but the dialogue yeah. and the conversation, you know, the ability to disagree and and maintain friendships with people on the other side of the political aisle. Yep. You know, we've, we've come to a place in this country 
where disagreeing has become so polarized that you know you have to become the enemy of somebody that disagrees with you. No, you become my enemy when you threaten me or dis or disrespect me or mine. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, but we can disagree and agree to disagree without being disagreeable because that's how forward progress is made. And, you know, um, the turning of the trajectory of an idea as big as American democracy is not like turning a canoe or a paddle boat. Right. It's like turning a aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's like 300 yards long. <laughs> yeah. You know, from the time you hit the brake till the time a vehicle like that comes to a complete stop, it's going to roll, it's going to, inertia is going to carry it another 10 miles. Mm -hmm. And so people like John Lewis and my father, who mm -hmm. was uh, the first black everything in the police force in the town that I grew up in, and the first black man ran four terms unopposed as more of a public servant than he ever was a politician. Mm -hmm. um, these guys, and, and people like Madam C.J. Walker, Fannie Lou Hamer, yep. And, yep. And, and Shirley Chisholm, Yep. You know, all set the table for what happened in the last 24 to 30, 36 hours. And uh, we need to be uh, mindful that uh, of progress when it's made. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying we shine and skin and grin and say, like, everything's okay. The moment we get this fool out of the White House, <laughs> we need to we need to apply loving pressure to the new occupants to get this ship righted. Yep. You know, and and, yep. and that's not going to happen. See, I learned in recovery that you know we didn't get in trouble overnight. That's right. So fixing it is not going to happen overnight. It's 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 a process and not an event. That's right. So anyway, you know, I thought I think it's important to voice my thoughts as an artist, mm -hmm. as a as a black man in America, mm -hmm. as an as an educator, as a recovering addict, and as an entrepreneur in this country. You know. It is. It has been uh, some of the statistics um, are very discouraging in that um, the majority of African American owned businesses, first of all, have income of less than fifty thousand dollars and employ no more than one other person. Mm -hmm. And while I'm while I'm doing a little bit better than that. It's also a startling reality that in this era of COVID, which should wipe away any doubt for the need of healthcare, you know, and, and this is coming no from a cancer warrior who's been battling cancer for five, 
five years now, mm-hmm. and, um, um, that that uh, you know what's important here is that half of these black-owned businesses won't survive this corona thing right. unless we unless we put uh, administration in place that understands that small business is the engine of the economy. That's right. And as an artist and an independent entrepreneur, I have to give voice to that concern, you know? And anybody who just tells me, shut up and paradiddle, or, you know, <laughs> some other some other dumb, some other can, they, well, as my man Earthquake says, they can miss me with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you can miss me with that. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, there's a lot going on within the music community to mm-hmm. be excited about. You know, work being done by Wynton Marcellus, work being done by Christian McBride, work being done, you know, in the Jazz Coalition, Jazz Roads. And, and, and I am, you know, one of the things I had to take off any of the burners and put on the side of the stove when I had to suit up for this cancer battle mm-hmm. was my my martial arts program, mm. which, which was tied to my nonprofit. And so I'm in the process now of restructuring. I got new board, I've added some board members. So, you know, I was hit with the cancer piece and then a very dear friend and and fabulous friend of the music from Detroit, Skip Norris, died suddenly. Yeah. And he's one of my board members. And so I I allowed the 501c3 to lapse. But I've got an accountant now. Team Onyx is working on 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 the on the on the renaissance of the Pinnacle Arts Institute. Nice. And um Hopefully we'll be able to get some grants in the pipeline and start to solve this performance issue by self-sponsoring. Because I'm just not down to live stream for free with a tip link on the website. And, have you know, the Curtis Brothers did the Blue Note at Home mm-hmm. trio concert. We got a great review in All About Jazz. And the thing, one of the things, because you can see, I'm working on my studio setup back here. <laughs> That's right. Uh, shout out to Mapex Drums and Minor Cymbals and Evans Drumheads, Vic First Sticks, and most recently, Earthworks microphones. Oh, nice. So I've got my, I've got the beginnings of my studio set up. And one of the most gratifying comments about the trio live stream was that it it was described as having brilliantly crisp sound cuz some of these live streams i've heard oh yeah sound, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah some of you know they need to get it, it's it's painful sometimes to listen to and so but you know technology is not cheap right and and but companies like earthworks are doing things to help make accessibility of particular kinds of technology accessible not only as to to the consumer but to assist 
institutions like Berkeley College of Music, yeah. where I've been like on the faculty now, it's hard to believe going on uh, next year will be my 19th year. Wow. On, on the faculty at Berkeley. And my good friend, trombonist Aaron Johnson, when I left New York, he said, man, I give you three to five years. They either go run you out of town or you're going to be running the joint. Well, in the words of Morpheus, you know, in the in the Matrix, we are still here. And, you know what I mean? And, um, uh, but uh, people at Earthworks Microphones are developing a new uh, USB 3 microphone that'll plug right into the laptop. Oh, yeah, nice. And so that makes, you know, because Berkeley, like all other, like most other sane institutions, have gone full remote right. for the fall semester. Right. And this is my last year before, my last year of teaching before I go on sabbatical. Actually, I was supposed to go on sabbatical this fall, but, you know, 60% of sabbatical is touring and recordings, and the studios are just starting to open up. And so since there ain't no gigs and there ain't no touring and there's no traveling, uh, I push my sabbatical till the fall of 21. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you might as well. You, you know, well. universe willing and the creek don't rise, I'll still be <laughs> here and have the strength, you know, to enjoy my sabbatical. That's right. But I'm very excited sometime in sometime before the release of Onward and Upward, Onyx Productions plans to record the first self record uh, the next trio record featuring oh, really? the Curtis brothers oh. right here. Oh using, nice. Using using the the setup, you know, that is being assisted assisted. Can you by, can, so can you imagine? I mean you, you know, just think back, right? We were talking about nineteen eighty three when you when you 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 know, first play with Art Blakey. Can you, this technology, could you imagine if that was around back then? I mean, the. And I'm old enough to know what a super scope is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and super scope was amazing because, you know, I played in a big band in college with cats like Tom Chapin and Jerry Weldon, uh, um, Andrew Beal. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Pete Belasco and Adam Brenner, Eric, Eric Allen. Yeah. And, and 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 these were the saxophonists, which eventually they migrated and matriculated into being the entire saxophone section for Lionel Hampton for years after they graduated. <laughs> you know, the late great Tom Chapin yeah. went on to break new ground and Jerry Weldon still got one of the hugest sounds on the tenor saxophone ever. Mm -hmm. And uh these cats learned all these train solos that Paul Jeffrey, they didn't learn them. They had to read them. Right. And they, and they would learn them and read them with the super scope, which would change the, the speed, but it would also change the pitch. <laughs> so these guys could play these solos, you know, in four or five or six different keys, which was re doubly ridiculous. You know? <laughs> you know, the amazing slowdown, it slows it down, but doesn't change the pitch. Right. You know? And, and sometimes the strongest sword goes through the hottest fire. That's and right. some of this technology ends up being a crutch. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it, it, it has equalized the playing field of the industry. Yep. Uh, and, and so has social media. 
you know. I tell people, especially especially in my family, I tell people on social media, social media is is 60 to 80 percent marketing for me. Yep. Yep. You know? That's it. I might, I might climb up on the political soapbox every now and then or share, you know, get involved in some martial arts banter, you know, because I fancy myself a, a closet martial artist and October, I, I was elevated to fifth degree black belt. So, and I'm still training nice. in between chemo treatments and nice. radiation. And so, uh, you know, life is in the living and life goes yeah. on. So, you know, you know, you, you brought with the technology stuff, <clears throat> you see all of these younger musicians and now the older musicians and they show up with their iPads, you know, with the tunes and all that. Talk a little bit about, did anybody on that bandstand ever ever have music in front of them? I mean, probably some charts at one point, but I mean, absolutely, for the most part, absolutely. I mean, and 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 now we do too. Yeah. Because first of all, we're old and we <laughs> suffer from crap, you know, which is can't remember a flipping thing. Yeah. But that was a purpose for rehearsals. Yeah. And art would generally allow you one gig with the music on the floor. You couldn't take a music stand on the bench. Okay, yep. You know, and I hope that, you know, we were getting to the point in the Messenger Legacy where we were leading the book mm -hmm. less and less. And I got to the point where I was like, look, if y'all ain't going to use this music, stop making me drag it around because <laughs> it's a whole nother suitcase and uh, luggage overweight and all kind of stuff, right? And so now we have new music that you know and some of it is extremely challenging it is actually listen to the recording man i mean just the the one that jumped out at me um was along came benny which you know it, you, i, I mean body body plexico oh my god blood and guts <laughs> in the studio you know and i said his his tune was the first tune to go out and the last tune recorded on the second <laughs> Because it took that long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I went on. Yeah. I, I was expecting to hear. I was expecting. It. That's it, man. I was expecting to hear. Oh, okay. Along came Betty. Along came Benny. So I'm like, whoa. I don't know what's going on here, man. This is like some serious stuff. But it sounded are you, like. Are the, you able to hear the changes? Yes. Of Along Came Betty. Yeah, in I, I did. And because, that, that melody is like. Right. If. Uh, this is the tempo of the of the tune. Yep. And this is the quarter note of the way the changes <laughs> are going by. <laughs> so, like, if you play it, maybe people can hear it. And there's a two-bar intro outside of the structure of the tune. But other than that, it's a long came Betty front yeah. to back. No, I, 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 I heard the changes, but, man, listen to that melody. <laughs> wow. The other reason I was excited about that tune and this will be the first time it's... Are you going to play it? No, I can't play this stuff on, uh, on this good. thing. So, yeah. But then it'll stay under wraps. That's right. They got to buy the album on September 18th. This is the knockout punch of the record. Yeah. Okay? Because, you know, Art used to always fool around with sticking in funk beats in the middle of the swing. You know, he was always open to new ideas and newer ways to play the, the instrument. Right? Mm -hmm. And so he was never anti-funk. He would slip it in in a way 
that would send the message of of its connectedness mm-hmm. of how it's all connected. Yeah. And um, when I I didn't own a pair of brushes until I was nineteen. Oh, really? <laughs> Philly Joe Jones gave them to me. Oh, gee, well. So even when I was at home practicing to Bud Powell's hallucinations and uh, Dizzy and Roy Eldridge, I found a new baby. I was actually practicing to those tunes with the funk beat from Chameleon oh. and <laughs> funk beat from Freddie Hubbard's Liquid Love and, <laughs> and Windjammer Records. Yeah. So which, you know, gave an idea of how thoroughly confused I was when I got to Rutgers. <laughs> and didn't know, didn't know Bo, okay? I'm trying to keep it clean. I'm, yeah, right, right, right. We're right, we're 48 minutes in, and I haven't blown it yet. <laughs> I'm trying not to blow it. Family friendly, right? And so, um, but, but playing the pocket is something that I did. If, if I've been playing music 38 years, I was playing pocket at least half of that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not a jazz baby, and, and and I'm not a I'm not a straight ahead acoustic jazz baby. Mm-hmm. I'm a child of the funk. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Larry Graham and and P Funk and Earth Wind and Fire. Yeah. The Commodores, and Ohio Players, and Meters, the Meters. Yeah. Charles Wright in 103rd Street Watts. Listen, that's listen. That's where I, that's who I am. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I have my students laughing all the time when I bust into that stuff because they think, you know, you know how students are. They think that they, you know, everything that they discover, they invent it. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but, and so when I drop a beat on them, they're like, wait a minute, what you know about that? I'm like, I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> and so this, the last tune on the record, uh, sir, gives me an opportunity to express the part of me that a lot of people haven't seen music, mm-hmm. you know. And so the other reason that we recorded it last is kind of the same reason we recorded El Grito first, because the drums had to be tuned different. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. On those two tunes, than they had to be on all of the other ones. You know, bass drum a little more open. Yep. Drums a little lower. Yep. And so, you know, those kind of tweaks uh, were really cool. You know, uh, I want to give another shout out to Mapex because the kit that I'm playing on this record is a um, 25th anniversary, like silver sparkle drum kit with an 18 inch bass drum. And to be able to play, cause I've been, because they gave, they get, they made it for me two, three years ago mm-hmm. when I reached 25 years as a Mapex endorser. And so to be able to play that drum kit on Onward and Upward, which is my 25th record yeah. as a leader, is just all kinds of special for me. And, you know, at some point, the way, at one point, the way I was living my life seemed like an impossibility. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like really grateful for the opportunity to have a, 
last this long. You, you know, talk a little bit because I actually I had Rudy Royston on about a month and a half ago and he did like a solo recording. And, you know, we talked specifically, obviously, you know, I'm coming from the drummer aspect, but I don't think a lot of people understand this. So talk a little bit about, you know, you've played on probably tens of thousands of different drum sets when you're traveling, you're touring, every, even if it's the same, even if it's a Maypac set, it could be different here, different there. How important is it for you to sit down and just sit down and feel, yeah, this set feels really good and this is the way you know what I mean? Like you sit down at a drum set and it's like, it's for a four piece jazz drum set. Great. How different could it be from the next? But when you sit down at like that Mapex drum set, you get inspired probably differently because it's just tuned differently. It feels better. Everything is there. Right. Well, and it just, sometimes helps your it's better and sometimes it's different. Yeah. And I worked with Rudy, you know, Rudy's one of my soldiers and I'm proud of all of them. And like Ari, yep. you know, and I could name a whole bunch of, them, you know, and they all making noise making a lot of noise on the drum scene from, and they ain't just all jazz drummers. You know what I mean? Matt Gartska, mm -hmm. you know, sure. uh, Mark Jr., Mark Whitfield Jr., Justin oh, Falcon, yeah. you know, <laughs> Antonio. Antonio was one of my earliest Berkeley. Oh, no kidding. My, he's actually my second Berkeley student. No ever. kidding. Yeah, back from the 80s and early 90s. But, <laughs> You know, what I learned from watching art mm -hmm. and having the privilege and responsibility of tuning his drums. So you were tuning his drums, too. How about that? Before, I, before he asked me to sit in. <laughs> oh, man. If, if, if he was at Sweet Basil and they were playing a week and it was in the middle of July and it was 900 degrees in the club. And the drums were like, yeah, just right. like, you know, dying from the heat and the humidity. And by the third night, they were, you know, John Ramsey, who's the only other living drummer to play as a jazz messenger and former chair of the percussion department at Berkeley, mm -hmm. tuned the drums, you know, did that for art as well. And, and a whole lot more. He was, you know, he was arts functioning road manager when when I, I had him kind of chops. You dig what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but I could Michael Carvin had taught me how to tune a drum set. And because I was kind of a uh, a style sponge, I could tune my drums like Philly. I could tune my drums like art. I could tune my drums kind of like Elvin. I could kind of tune my drums like, you know, yep. at least at least I was aware of characteristic differences mm -hmm. in in the sound. Um, it's hard to do, too, by the way, for everybody watching. But, I mean, it's not like I, tuning a piano. This is like tuning yeah, a drum different. set. Piano players know nothing. They sit down and it's <laughs> potluck, complete potluck. See, they hit a bit. The only, ones, the only people I feel more sorry for than, than drummers is piano players. <laughs> but, but the piano situation overall has gotten better yes at, as the level that i perform you know like you know there's a saying there's levels to this thing yeah yeah but what i learned from art is that the sound is in your hands mm, yeah and you don't have the sound in your hands and in in your mind's ear in your big ear your third ear mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter what you sit down in front of in terms of drums or cymbals 
And I've seen that play itself out by other drummers who try to come behind art and play too far away from the sound that the drum, you know, like you can't play a soprano saxophone like a baritone saxophone. Right, right. You can't play, there are very few alto players who play the alto like a tenor. Right. Donald Harrison is clearly one of them. Mm -hmm. Kenny Garrett is another. Yeah. Okay. But most alto players play alto saxophone. And when they switch, there's another set of mechanics involved. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and I've seen a lot of drummers fail. Uh, what do they call epically? Epic fails. <laughs> Epic fail. Sit in, come in behind drums that were set up for art and play some whole bunch of irrelevant ass non jazz messenger <laughs> stuff. Up oh, there, I blew it. We almost we have four minutes left. And, I <laughs> and I've and I've also seen it happen on my kit. Because yeah. my kit is set up for my touch. And so if you try to if you try to make the instrument do what it's not set up to do, then, you know, it's like shoveling you uphill. Can, go ahead, say it. Against <laughs> in the rain. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so um, <laughs> having the sound in my head, which means it has to enter through my ears. Yep. And it also has to not, it has to be more than a head thing. You have to internalize the sound by understanding its function, its role and function in music. Right? So that means yeah. you got to learn the music and not just the number of bars, but the chord changes. And not just the chord changes, but the interactive dialogue and how the vocabularies of various styles developed over time. Things didn't happen because cats just got together and did their own thing and it came out great. No, no, no. <laughs> the greatest minds in this music, the highest level of this music is studied. That's right. Even on the avant-garde idiom. That's right, yep. There's still a concept. I had the great fortune of playing with Stanley Turntine and David Murray at the same time wow. during the same period, oh. and and once even on the same festival. No kidding. Oh man! So you got to go gig and play the gig you on. That's right. And understand what that means. You know what I mean? And absolutely, we don't have as much of that as now because leadership is granted kind of based on freshness and newness as opposed to experience and depth. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know? Yeah. Um, well, it's, I mean, but, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge point because that, that's the whole thing. You have to know where something came from in order for you to push it into the future. You can't skip a bunch of steps, you know? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so, you know, whether it's learning this music, or politics, or the proper execution of a spin hook kick. <laughs> There's a process involved, right? You know that begins or the twelve steps. You know, it's been my experience. Most people get clean, 
They want to go right to the ninth step and make amends. But, you know, the steps are in order for a reason. That's right. That's right. right. You You have to be in a certain condition spiritually mm-hmm. or physically or musically that's to right. be able to understand what's being put down. That's right. I didn't, I didn't appreciate Charlie Parker or Joe Henderson or John Coltrane the first time I heard it. You know, and like most things with young people, if you can't, young talented people, mm-hmm. If they can't do it right away, they ain't interested in it. That's right. So, like, I still feather the bass drum when idiomatically appropriate, when it's relevant. Mm-hmm. But if you can hear somebody feathering the bass drum, <laughs> they not feathering the bass drum. <laughs> <laughs> because if you drop a feather on any drum in the drum set, do you hear it? That's right. It's like the bear in the woods question. That's right. right. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) These are the things that I try to represent and and, and principles I try to live by and um, what I try to pass on to people like Rudy and all of these cats, Jonathan Blake and DJ Strickland. Yeah. Actor, you know, I mean, I'm so proud of these cats because they are not just great drummers. Kush Abaday, they are evolving into leaders. Reggie Quinnell, you know, um, Tyshawn Sorry, you know, yeah. And so, uh, and the next crop coming out of Berkeley and the guys that are studying with me now, yeah, you know, um. Well, and and the, and you know, and that's the whole that's the whole thing. Just to kind of wrap wrap us back around. This has been an incredible conversation, Ralph. I got you and I. I told you before we came out, we could talk for like five hours probably about all this stuff, man. We already did almost an hour here. It's um, it's amazing, but you know, that's the, the to wrap it all back around. That's the whole purpose of the Messenger Legacy is because everybody that was part of that, especially on this particular recording with all of these tunes. I mean, everybody took their time out of their schedule to write tunes to contribute to this and to put this out because they think, as you do, keeping that legacy alive and passing it along to the next generation is important. And and I, I love and the fact that you're pushing it. And is as important as making fresh statements. That's right. At the same time. Yeah. This record is the record that Art would be calling us, cussing us out over if we didn't make Mm, yeah yeah as much as i you know as much as i love playing one by one and moaning it's like church when we play moaning oh yeah but to be but to have the opportunity to take the vocabulary and express it in my own way and on my own terms you know after having learn the rules, learn after having learned and practiced the rules of being a sideman, which is what teaches you how to be a leader. That's right. Which is why so much of today's music is, as they say, a mile wide and inch, and only an inch deep. That's and has no real depth you right. know, or longevity, which is why the industry is strong on itself so that the shelf life of a new release, you know, is three to six weeks. 
It used to be a year and a half. Yeah. When I was with Blue Note, I saw it go from a year and a half down to nine months, which is why, truth be told, I sued to get out of my Blue Note contract. Oh, no. Yeah, you could see it coming, right? They were sitting on music because I had signed into all of these options. And so having my own label, I'm, I'm in the driver's seat. Yeah. So that's why I, re- and when COVID hit, being in control of my own company left me nimble enough to make the release adjustments because we had a, we had a huge two-day release concert set up for the Appel Room at Jazz at Lincoln Center. It mm-hmm. was going to be incredible. We were going to give awards to Benny Golson and Reggie Workman. Oh, and man. that concert is still going to happen. But we decided to drop to take a page out of hip hop. Yep. <laughs> and drop a single. <laughs> you and did drop yeah. a video. And then drop another single. Yeah. And so now the release is coming up in just over a month. And uh I appreciate you uh allowing me a platform to talk about oh, it. You can't it was a, it's an honor to have you on, man. I told you before we came in, I told you when I introduced you. So I mean this has been an incredible conversation. I've got to tell everybody it's all linked up below, but Ralph Peterson music dot com September eighteenth. It's available, but you can pre order. You can pre order on, on the band yeah. camp. The links below on the band camp. And of course everybody that's listening to this on the podcast, head over to Ralph Peterson Music dot com and check it out and pre order it. But Ralph, I gotta have you back on and we can we can uh we can just focus in on drums and then we'll focus in on hopefully knock on wood a brand new administration in November. That'd be fantastic too. So we'll, we'll do a double whammy. With a good time. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll hit you up and we're going to have you back on, but congratulations on everything. It's been a pleasure having you on. And uh, again, thanks so much for being on the show, Ralph. Thank you. I want to give a shout to team Onyx, uh, Laura, Laura Martinez, my manager, Lydia, yeah. Lehman, my publicist, uh, Keith McKinley, my, First Taekwondo teacher and my uh, uh, legal <laughs> legal counsel yeah. and uh, Edward LaRose, my graphic guy, Dean David Allback, my mix and Pro Tools tutor. The student has become the teacher. He's a former drum oh, student. Awesome. And he coaches me and we work together. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank y'all. That's it. That's it. I'm going to close out the show with Ralph right on screen now. And until next time,